0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. It's a beautiful day. Well, it looks like it's clouding up a little bit, but it's still a beautiful day. And uh, every day is a beautiful day. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, amen? We're glad to have you here. Uh, Is there anyone who did not receive a lesson sheet for this morning? Brother Doug? All right. If you'll sort of be in charge if anyone else comes in. Okay. Make sure that everyone receives one. All right, good. Before we get into the lesson this morning, I just wanted to share something with you. This is the second Sunday of a brand new year, and uh, I didn't get to say it maybe last week, but I'll say it today. Happy New Year! I hope it's a it's a happy, blessed New Year for you. How many of you have heard of Francis Ridley Havergale? Francis Ridley Havergale, Um She was an English poet and a hymn writer, and uh, she lived from 1836 to 1879. And she began writing at the age of seven, and her most widely known hymns are some of the ones that we sing, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be. Like a river glorious, I gave my life for thee, and who is on the Lord's side? I'm sure that we know at least some of these. And uh, she published several volumes of poems and hymns, as well as prose writings. In January of 1874, many of her friends received a New Year's greeting with the heading, A Happy New Year, Ever Such May It Be. And then she added the following poem. And she wrote, and by the way, it's on the back of your lesson sheet, Another Year is Dawning. Another Year is Dawning, Dear Father, Let It Be. In working or in waiting, another year with thee. Another year of progress. Another year of praise. Another year of proving thy presence all the days. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace. Another year of gladness in the shining of thy face. Another year of leaning upon thy loving breast. Another year of trusting of quiet, happy rest. Another year of service. A witness for Thy love, another year of training for holier work above. Another year is dawning, dear Father. Let it be on earth or else in heaven. Another year for Thee. And you know, as we stand at the, as it were, at the threshold of a new year, may this poem also be our prayer. And uh, maybe you want to just take it and just stick it and keep it in your Bible and, and read it frequently. Brother Doug, we have some more folks here. Maybe they haven't received a lesson yet. Brother uh, Sam, did you all receive your, a lesson for this morning? Okay, good. Very good. Well, again, welcome this morning to the Sunday School Hour. I appreciate this opportunity for, uh, uh, to be able to do, teach this morning. And uh, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of James in the New Testament. And if you're able, would you please stand with us? We're going to read chapter 1. The book of James, chapter 1. Pardon me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, that the trine of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endure temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be the a a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass when he beholdeth himself he goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was but whoso looketh into the perfect will of liberty and continueth therein he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this man shall be blessed in his deed If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart, and this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And God will add his blessings to his precious word. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, this morning we're grateful for a new day. This is your day, Lord. And I pray that we'll honor you in all that we do and say today. May, the, uh, may this um, series of lessons on the book of James be an encouragement to every one of us and help us in our growth, Lord, to be more like Jesus. Thank you for everyone who's come this morning. We pray for all the activities that are scheduled for today. And may you receive all the glory and honor. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. It's been many years since I have used a PowerPoint presentations. So, Brother Al, if I begin to stumble, I'd like you to come up here and finish the lesson, all right? And we, we've got this computer working here, and I think if I push the right buttons, we'll be all right. But I appreciate the opportunity to begin teaching this series this morning. You know, many people claim to have faith, but but what kind of faith do they have? Let's make this a little more personal, all right? Uh, What kind of faith do you have? And that's the question this morning. And we're going to be looking at this series in the book of James. This is what James deals with, the matter of faith. So is your faith, is it a faith that will get you through the uh, difficult trials and the tests of life? Uh, Is it a a faith that will carry you through the bad times as well as the good? So often our faith is great when everything is going well, but then our faith is weak when our world has fallen apart. Or is it a faith that comes out only in an emergency, you know, sort of like a spare tire? Some people have that kind of faith, it's It's there if they need it. Is it a faith that sits idly or is it a genuine faith that works? You know, the Bible teaches that saving faith practices what it believes. Matter of fact, true Christian faith is about a belief that behaves. How does your faith behave? Today we're going to begin a study in the little book of James, and uh, it's uh, one of the most distinctively uh, Christian and Christ-centered letters in the New Testament. Now The book of James challenges those of us who are uh, followers of Jesus Christ to grow up and become mature Christians. Now those of us who are parents, and uh, most of us probably our children are already grown up and they've gone, they've left home. But how many times when they were home, how many times did we say to them, why don't you just grow up? Why don't you grow up? And uh, this is what James is dealing with here. He's going to tell us throughout this book, why don't you grow up? Just grow up, because true Christian faith is about a belief that behaves. And as we study the book, uh, uh, James, we're going to see that uh, this book is a primer. Uh, A primer is a, of course, you know, it's an elementary textbook. Uh, It's for everyday Christian living. It's a book of practical Christianity. It's a book about putting our faith into action. It's a book about spiritual maturity. It's a book about the testing of a Christian's faith. And, of course, it is relevant for 21st century Christians. And it's a book about a faith that works. Now then, we think sometimes that the Bible is just, it's not for us today. You know, the Old Testament, that was good for the Old Testament saints. And uh, the New Testament, that was all right for the New Testament folks, But the book of James, in particular, because that's what we're going to be studying, it's a book that's current for today. It's a 21st century book, and um, it's a faith that works. The book of James is probably the earliest book in the New Testament. It was written from Jerusalem, uh, perhaps around A.D. 45, and uh, therefore it has been called the first epistle to Christians. And uh, the theme of James is what we believe, Will change the way we behave. You believe that? What we believe will certainly change the way that we behave. So, James is one of seven general epistles. It's so called because they are not written to any one particular person, such as the book of Timothy uh, or uh, Titus or Philemon. Those were written to particular individuals. But, uh, 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 nor to a particular church as the epistles to, uh, say, Romans or Corinthians, or Galatians, or Ephesians. And they were to be read uh, by all churches. Now, I want to encourage you, all right, right here at the very beginning, I want to encourage you to, to uh, read this little book. If you've never read the book of James, I encourage you to begin reading it and become familiar uh, with it during our study. There are only five short chapters. That's not very many and there are 108 verses and there are 2309 words. You said, "Brother Paul, how do you know that?" I've got a computer. <laughs> and I've got a, several Bible programs, brother Alan. I just push the button in there and there it tells me how many words are in every book of the Bible, all right? But but I just this is a little bit of trivia, alright? But I do want to encourage you to read the book of James. Um, Read it every, every, every week. It, it won't take you just a few minutes to read it. And uh, it contains quotations or references from uh, several Old Testament books. And, and many from the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. So, let's look at some facts about James, alright? At first, at first, he along with his other brothers and sisters did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I say, well how do you know that? Well, look at John chapter 7. Now, we're going to use a lot of Scripture in this this study, all right? uh, John chapter 7, verse 2 says, Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren... Now, many people don't think that Jesus had any brothers. In fact, he had brothers and sisters, all right? And... uh, uh, It says his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart thence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Verse five For neither did his brethren believe in him. His own family, well his brothers and sisters, did not believe that he was excuse me, the Messiah. Yes, sir. What version are you using? I'm using the King James version. King James. Yes, sir. It's also called the authorized version. Okay. okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah, and I will be using this version, this version only throughout this, uh, uh, this, this study. All right. It's the, it's the version that I am comfortable with, that I am familiar with, and that I've used all of my entire over 45 years of ministry. So uh, I hope it doesn't confuse you. All right. It won't confuse you, will it? No? Okay, good. And I'll, I'll ask you to respond sometime, so be ready, okay? Uh, it says also that he, he, he was not a believer uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ until after the Lord's resurrection, when he appeared to, to him, to James, and, and others. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. Although we do, I do use a lot of Scripture, I won't be, I'll give you the reference All right. on many occasions. And then also, he, uh, he later became the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And we see that in Acts chapter 15 and verse 13, and then also Acts 21 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul called James a pillar of the church in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. And he refers to Peter and John also. So Paul was emphasizing their role in uh, establishing and supporting the church. He was also called James the Just. Sometimes you'll read that. And the reason for that is because of his fairness in dealings with both Jews and the Gentiles. And, of course, for his goodness and holiness. Now, um, according to, uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever read, uh, the Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus, Anyone familiar with that? I know that Mark is. Have you read the whole book, about The Histories of the Jews? Um, it's heavy reading, very heavy reading. But uh, he, he is a historian, a Jewish historian. And uh, in his writings, he says that James was martyred by stoning somewhere around A.D. 62. You know, all the apostles died uh, a martyr's death except, I believe, the Apostle John, right? Okay, now according to tradition, the scribes and the Pharisees took James to a temple balcony and they commanded him to proclaim that Jesus was not the Messiah. And James cried loudly that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. He was the judge of the world. And he was thrown from the balcony and then he was stoned to death as he lay dying from the fall. Now let's look at the real author of this book, all right? There's a lot of speculation about who this James was. There are at least three Jameses mentioned in the New Testament, and two of them were the, were, were the Lord's apostles. First of all, there was James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and of course he had a brother named John. James and John, you remember them. They were fishers also. And, uh, but the problem is with this James uh, the son of Zebedee, he, he was martyred by Herod in Acts chapter 12 and verse 2, somewhere around A.D. 42. So he could not have been the author of the book of James. The second James is called James the Less, and he's the son of Alphaeus, and he is mentioned in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3. And then the third James is the son of Joseph and Mary. In other words, he was the oldest half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 13 and verse 55, you can read that. And uh, most Bible scholars, and I'm not one, but I believe that this James was the author of this book. All right? Now, from verse 1, I believe that we see three important qualities about James. First of all, he had a lowly consideration of himself. You see, James was a very humble man. And we see the humility that I believe ought to characterize each of us. Humbly. humble, Being humble. Um, You notice the role that he claims and how he introduces himself in verse 1. James, pardon me, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) He... um, He takes no glory, but he simply says he's a servant of the Lord. Now, the Greek word for servant is doulos, uh, which means a bond slave, uh, one who uh, gives himself wholly to another's will. You see, slavery uh, was very common in biblical times, and even the Apostle Paul uses this word in his letters many times. Uh, In the book of Romans, chapter 1, matter of fact, Romans chapter one and verse one, he begins by saying, "Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ." Maybe some of your um, uh, some of your uh, Bibles have the word slave. anyone have that in yours? Does anyone, or do they all say? Do all of your translations say a servant, a bond servant? Okay, that was a slave. <clears throat> so slavery was very common in those times. Now, under the influence of Roman law, a slave uh, was usually considered to be a person, um, either male or female, and he was owned by another without rights and like any other form of personal property to be used and disposed of whatever in whatever way the owner may wish. James considered himself the property of God to be used any way that he wished and you know, you and I are also his property. If you're saved today, trust you are. Uh, you are bond slaves, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ purchased us out of Satan's slave market with his precious blood that he shed on Calvary for our sins. Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. And therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Writing from Cambridge, England in 1883, C.T. Studd, missionary to China, said this, I had known about Jesus dying for me, but I had never understood that He had died for me. Then I did not that if, excuse me, I never understood that if he had died for me, that I did not belong to myself. Redemption means buying back. So that if I belonged to him, either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, or else I had to give up everything to God. When I came to see that Jesus Christ had died for me, it didn't seem hard to give up all for him. So I want you to notice the relationship that uh, James claims for himself. Although he was the Lord's brother, and he was a leader in the Jerusalem church, we still see his humility from this first verse. He doesn't pull his rank. He doesn't brag about his position or who he is. And it's not a a matter of prominence. It's not a matter of prestige or personality. He could have boasted about, you know, being, hey, I'm James. I'm the brother of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Or that he was an apostle. And that he was a pillar in the Jerusalem church. No, he uh, simply refers to himself as a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, how how about uh, how do you see yourself this morning? All right, let's do a little examination here. How do you see yourself? Is it important to you, I heard someone say this years ago, is it important to you who you are important to? Is it important to you who you are important to? And yet, for some people, that's certainly the case. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. You know, in my years of, uh, of being a Christian and of being, and of being in the ministry, um, I've met a lot of people who had a high opinion of themselves. There are a lot of folks like that, Brother Gabe. They really think they're somebody. And I'm talking about even in Christian circles, and I'm sure that we've all seen that. They really... They're high and mighty. Uh, you know, there are a lot of, uh, forgive me, uh, but there, 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 are many, there are many preachers today who have set themselves up on a high pedestal, and everybody looks up to them almost like God. James wasn't like that. He had a lowly consideration of himself. But then, secondly, he had a lofty conception of his Savior. Who is Jesus Christ? You know, that's a question many people in this world struggle with. Some say that he was a good moral teacher, uh, that he was an example of, uh, of man with a spark of divinity. Some say he was an innocent martyr. Some, as Islam teaches, say that he was, he was a good prophet among many. Some say he didn't. Uh, I watched the program this week, a documentary uh, about Jesus. And uh, one of the documentaries I watched was put out by the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. And uh, they claim in there that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that he was resuscitated, and that eventually he went over to India, in particular Kashmir, and became a monk. He became a Buddhist monk. And then there are others that say that he never existed. So was he just a human man as Christian science teaches? Is it true that he was not Jehovah God as the Jehovah's Witnesses claim? Was He just one of Elohim's spirit children who who became a god as the Mormons teach? Was He a god among many gods as Eastern religions teach? You know, in the documentary it says that He was a Savior. He was one of the saviors of this world. Well, I want to ask you this morning, who is Jesus Christ to you personally? Who is He to you? One day, Jesus asked His disciples this question. And, of course, Peter gave Him the right answer. We see that in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 16. Thou art the Son of God. And there was a time in James's life when, when he did not believe this in John chapter 7. But now, but now we see as he begins writing this, he has a lofty conception of who Jesus Christ was. And you know we need to have a lofty conception also of who He is. He's not just a good example. He's not just a good man. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Creator of the universe. He is our God and our Savior if you've been born again. And uh, he believed. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And and that God, He and God were the same. Uh, He believed that Jesus Christ was the sovereign God and creator of the universe. And that He was His Savior. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Now then, the third thing we see is that he had not only did he have a, a lowly consideration of himself and uh, not only did he have a, a lofty conception of his savior but james had a loving concern for the saints not only was james a servant of god but but he was also a servant of god's people he felt a pastoral responsibility for god's scattered sheep and he wrote to them as a concerned pastor to strengthen and encourage his Jewish Christian brethren to continue to grow in their new faith during the difficult times that they were experiencing. And it was a tough time for them. And he loved them, and this is why he wrote this letter. Who were the recipients of this letter? Well, historically, uh, the 12 tribes. He says in his book here, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So historically, this book was written, he wrote it to the twelve tribes. You know, after Stephen was martyred, and we read that in Acts chapter 7, the persecution of Christians increased. And then James, matter of fact, in in, in Acts chapter 11, I'll read that, in Acts chapter 11 and uh, verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad, Upon the persecution that arose after Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to number to the Jews only. So these uh, uh, the twelve tribes who were scattered abroad, and, and the twelve tribes, by the way, it's it's a common term that was used to refer to the Jewish people, but specifically these were believers who were scattered throughout the Mediterranean Roman Empire. And the the Greek word for scattered abroad is, uh, and I hope I'm saying this, diaspora. Diaspora, which means in the dispersion. And it refers to Israelites living living outside the land of Palestine and to the Gentile countries. So historically, he's writing this letter and sending it to the 12 tribes. But then prophetically, he's writing to all believers. This book is just as practical and good for us today as it was when he wrote it and sent it to the 12 tribes. Third thing we want to see is the reason for writing this letter. Why did, he, why did James write this letter? Well, being Jews, these scattered people were rejected by the Gentiles. And of course, being Christian Jews, they, they were rejected by their own countrymen. And many of them may have been saved. Uh, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, we read about in Acts chapter 2. And uh, these, uh, these were, uh, no doubt, probably immature Christians who had carried basic truths of the gospel back to their own countries. Uh, they were also having problems in their personal lives and in their churches. So James wrote to exhort them, uh, those who were undergoing trials, and, and they were going through testings because of their Christian faith. And I believe that as we go through this book, it's going to help all of us whether or not we are going through personal conflicts or personal uh, trials and testings. So James was also dealing with immature Christians. And every church has those who were not practicing what they preached. We've all met folks like that, haven't we? We've all been guilty of not practicing what we preach. So, things haven't changed much over the past 2,000 years. There are are Christians today who are experiencing uh, similar situations, and there are churches all over our country that are full of people who claim to be Christians, but are not practicing what they believe. Excuse me. Are you following me so far? Hadn't lost you, have I? All right. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, some talky-talky, but no (laughs) walky-walky. That's good, isn't it, Doug? Yeah. Some walky-walky, but no... Excuse me, talky-talky, but no walky-walky. James tells them, these recipients of his letter... That they cannot be a Christian and continue living in sin and showing no fruit of righteousness. And that is true in our lives also, beloved. We cannot be a Christian if we continue living in sin and showing no fruit of righteousness. One commentary said this, in no other book in the New Testament do we find one's faith tested like we do in James. He doesn't pull any punches. He names sin for what it is. And you know, I believe that's a responsibility a pastor has also to call sin, sin. Amen? Amen? To name sin, to call it like it is. Like God says, God hates sin and we ought to hate it. And we ought to love what God loves. So James wrote this book to exhort and encourage, to challenge and to convict, to rebuke and to revive. To describe practical holiness and drive believers toward the goal of faith that works. <clears throat> what are the results of studying? What are going to be the results? Why should we study the book of James? Well, spiritual maturity was the theme and the common cause of the problems that James was dealing with. And he wanted his readers to be mature Christians and have a faith that works that is also, I believe, the desire of your, our pastor and uh, those who teach. We have a responsibility to mature Christians. And uh, we're going to be seeing some things here in this coming year uh, that are going to take place that I believe will help accomplish this uh, of our spiritual growth. All right. What will happen? What will happen as we study James. Well, first of all, I believe it will have such an impact upon our lives that we will become mature Christians who are growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Also, it will help us to make a difference in our homes, in our marriages, in God's house, where we live, on the job and in this world it's going to make a difference third it will bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ as he builds his church here at Yellowstone Baptist Church with mature Christians who have a faith that works here are some essentials to spiritual maturity all right? in order to be mature Christians it's essential that first of all we must be born again we must be born again may i ask you a personal question this morning have you been born again have you ever trusted christ as your savior are you saved in england they say converted do you have a personal relationship with the lord jesus christ have you ever seen yourself as a lost sinner who will spend eternity separated from god in hell and in need of a Savior? Have you ever been there? You know, I shared my testimony here a couple, the last time we had a teenager's. Uh, I shared my personal testimony, March 19th, 1972. I saw myself as lost, hellbound. And that day I received Christ as my Savior. And you know what? I've never been sorry that I became a Christian, uh, I've never regretted it. How is a person born again? Well, there's, uh, you listen to some of the TV evangelists, they'll tell you how to get saved. Just send them some money. Everything will be all right then. Send them a big check too. Dig down deep. You know, deep. Get down deep into your pockets and send them a love offering. And of course, there are many, many other false uh, suggestions, false teaching on how to be saved. It's a miracle, folks. When you get saved, it's a miracle. And the Spirit of God takes His Word and, and he, he, he generates a new life within the heart of the sinner who repents of their sin of unbelief and puts their trust in and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. By His grace, He convicts the sinner and He saves him. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, unless any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Romans ten seventeen. Paul says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And then, secondly, another essential, is we must examine our lives in the light of God's word. Yeah, you know, contrary to popular belief and philosophy being taught today in some churches, it's not about a better you. Nor feel good about yourself. Nor is it about having uh, your self needs met, or having your best life now. It's not about any of those things. The Bible says in Second Corinthians thirteen five, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves whether ye uh, know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates, someone who rejects God. Third. We must be doers of God's Word. Uh, You know, it's easy to come to church and hear the preaching uh, or or read the Bible, uh, but it's more difficult to put into practice what we've learned. That's why James says, and we'll be covering this later in James 1.22, he says, be ye doers doers of the Word and not hearers only. So, are you willing to put into action... Uh, the truth that you learn, you know, we're responsible for whatever, we, whatever you hear today, you, re, you, you, you and I are responsible for. Are you a doer of God's Word? Then as we study James, we're going to find out what, really, uh, what, it, what that really means. And then fourth, uh, we must be prepared for some trials and testings. Now, this, uh, now, I don't particularly care for this part, but it's true. And you know what? It's not a matter of if they will come, but when they will come. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy three twelve, and therefore we must prepare ourselves spiritually to handle them. That's why James deals with this in his uh, in his letter. And then, lastly, we must measure our spiritual growth and maturity by the Word of God, not by other Christians. Uh, so often we measure ourselves with ourselves. And then we conclude that we're more spiritual than others are. And we shouldn't do that. We're not as bad as others are. We go to church, we read our Bibles, we, we pray, we're we're faithful givers. But you know what really what we really need is to examine ourselves with God's word, not each other. The Bible is God's measuring stick for truth. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So, what kind of faith do you have? This is just a little introduction. Today we have churches that are filled with spiritually immature Christians who are comparing themselves with themselves or with others. One author said this, quote, just because a Christian has been saved for 10 or 20 years does not guarantee that he is mature in the Lord. Mature Christians are happy Christians, useful Christians, Christians who help to encourage others and to build their local church. Well, may this study help us to be those kind of christians to be mature christians and uh, is that is that is that uh, is, uh, the faith that we have is a faith that works and i trust that we all have that kind of faith and that will grow in grace and knowledge of lord jesus christ throughout this series so any questions or comments or disagreements or 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 criticisms praise the lord Thank you, Brother Al, for all you taught me. <laughs> Amen. Again, I encourage you to read James this week. Uh, next week, uh, we have a second part of this introduction, in verse 1, and then we'll get into the rest of, of, the, of the book. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to teach this morning, for uh, helping me, uh, for giving us an understanding of your word, and I pray that we'll all grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that this study will help our church, uh, Lord, to be uh, a church of mature Christians, where our faith works. Help us to do that, Lord, to put our faith to work. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. I'm let you out early.